How you doing, church? You doing good? Oh, yeah. Buckle up for this one. Uh, just prep yourself. If you're a note taker or if you just get something out to, to lock in some of this stuff, I'm going to share with you a few things that God's going to guide us to. It's, well, you probably don't know about it, and uh, it's big and will make some of us literally have the wide open, oh, my goodness, moment. But let me make sure everyone feels welcome. Fellas at RCMU, we're glad that you're in on this, and in fact, specifically to the 12 guys who have signed up to be baptized. I am so proud of you. We're pumped. We're pumped. Now, my guess in a, in a group like you fellas, one of you wussed out. So there's probably 13 or 14. Man up. Come on. Uh, we'll be ready for you next week to, to baptize. And, and here, at, at this location, we're going to have baptisms every single service. So some of you were baptized as babies. It wasn't your choice. Someone else made that for you. I don't mean to wreck your world, but that's not the way Jesus intended baptism to work out. Baptism was supposed to be a declaration that you believe in Jesus as your Savior. So if you have never been baptized, at least willingly, if you've never been baptized but you love Jesus, you need to sign up and get baptized. Again, like I said to the guys at the prison, don't be a wimp about this. That's what baptism, I think, was partly about, saying in public, I love Jesus. So if you're like, how do I do this? I want to do this. You go out in the lobby, sign up. There's people out there that will help you. But let's make sure that none of us who are supposed to get baptized get through the week and be like, I should have done it. I'll have to wait till next time. And just sign up now. I'm excited. It'll be a party, by the way, if you've never been to a Fountain Springs baptism. It's like a party in church. And that's not an oxymoron. It's it works. It's awesome. So, so make sure you're here. We're going to finish up something that's been so on my heart. It's been hard to keep this from you. Now, don't worry. I don't keep a lot of things from you. But there has been some things that God's been leading us to that I'm going to share with you finally. So get ready. But let's start with some fun. Um, I have some preferences. I think that you have some preferences. Some of you have some weird preferences based on how you dress. I'll go enough there. I prefer to wear hoodies and tennis shoes when I preach. I prefer steak for every meal, all the time, even in the middle of the night. <laughs> yep. If you ask me, what do you want, steak? I don't care what time of the day it is. I don't care if I just had a steak 15 minutes earlier. It's like, what do you want? Steak. Let's do steak. I grew up that that was literally what makes you live, and I believe it strongly. Those of you who are health nuts, just don't give me a hard time right now. I prefer steak over everything. Absolutely any kind of food, especially vegetables, but I love steak. I have preferences. You have preferences too. Now, some of you have some weird preferences in your home. I'm going to help resolve some conflict in your home. Some of you have a preference regarding how you do toilet paper in your house. Now, some of you are doing this incorrectly. I'm just here to help. I'm here to help. Some of you do it under. Some of you do it over. Let me resolve what is right over. I'm just looking at who's clapping and who's not. I'm not going to out anybody in our house, but I am the over person. Now, let me help also. Some of you lazy bums in your house. Some of you are like, I don't do over and under. I just set it right there on the counter. Come on. Ten seconds. Ten seconds of your life, and you can take the empty roll off, throw it away, put the new one on there. 
It's not difficult. This is brilliant stuff, people. And yes, this is in my notes. I planned this. Now, some of you have, have preferences in other worlds, like sports teams. I prefer the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep, yep, yep. Some of you prefer another team, I think from Denver. I don't quite remember the name. The name just doesn't come to me right now. You'll just have to think of it on your own. Some of you don't know Jesus yet. And, uh, and I'll be happy afterwards to talk to you about the Kansas City Chiefs and, uh, and God's design for them to win the Super Bowl in 2050. <laughs> now, some of you prefer church on Saturdays. Some of you prefer it on Sundays. We don't understand you, but you prefer... You, we all have our own preferences right now. now. Now, wait a minute. Let me stop. Some of you are like, David, I don't have any preferences. I just live in the moment. I am a hippie. I just, you know, whatever it is. You know what? I don't have any preferences. I just go with the flow. You're a liar. Everyone has preferences. Let me help you understand. For those of you who deny that you have preferences, let me introduce to you a conversation in the Canaan car. Where are the Canaans? Honey, where would you like to go eat? It doesn't matter, the best husband in the entire world, the all, just, oh, I'm, I'm adding, you know what, David, it doesn't matter where we go to eat, it really, I don't have an opinion about it. All right, let's go get some barbecue. That's disgusting. This is where a good husband stops. And says, you know what, you're right. That is, I can't believe I came up with that. I'm not a good husband. I, I, I'm like, I start the debate, but, but you said you didn't care. Well, I don't really care. But you, that's how arguments go when you're married, by the way. Preferences, every one of us has preferences, whether you admit it or not, you have a preference. You dress the way you do because of certain reasons. You eat what you eat because of certain reasons. You like certain things and don't like certain things. By the way, preferences are not bad, but we all have preferences. We also, also, listen, we all have convictions. It's funny in today's world how convictions have really come to the front. Some of us buy things or don't buy things because of convictions. In fact, uh, classic in the United States of America, there are many of us who prefer and look to only buy what is labeled made in the USA. There's, there's a conviction about that, right? And that's, and that's a fine conviction, but we have convictions. Some of you literally buy things based on conviction. Now, now some of you have other convictions that, that I don't understand. Like when you go to the grocery store and you can, you can buy eggs that were produced by chickens that were in cages and some that weren't in cages and you feel like a good person because you bought it because they weren't in a cage. Just trying to think of what I'm going to say. <laughs> Some of us buy our eggs based on conviction, whatever you want to do, okay? But we buy things on conviction. I have a pair of boots that I bought that were produced in Ethiopia, and literally it was a conviction of mine. I wanted to buy some things like that where a third world country company gets money. I think that's good. Rather than just throwing money at them, 
They actually produce the boot. I buy the boot. I like it. I feel good. And there's conviction. Many of us buy things, do things, don't do things, where we eat, where we shop, how we raise our family. It's convictions. In fact, I'll tell you this about decision making. Most of us, in fact, all of us, I would say, make our decisions based on either preference or conviction. Sometimes it's a big decision. Sometimes it's a small decision, like the toilet paper. But we have preferences and we have convictions. Listen to this very closely. When we talk about doing what God wants us to do, it's dangerous territory if you do what God wants to do based on your preferences. And in fact, I would tell you, our personal preferences often distract us from God's passions. I'll say that again. Oftentimes, our personal preferences distract us, get in the way from what God is convicted about, what he's passionate about. And in fact, when you look at the church, oftentimes we look at the church based on our preferences, not what God's passionate about. And I refuse, listen, and you should too, refuse to be a part of a church that is hinged on, fueled by our personal preferences. But that's so hard because you and I have them. I mean, when you and I, if we ever go church shopping, as they say, oftentimes when we go look for a church, it's not about, hey, are they doing what God's passionate about? It's about a style or a method. Do they do the music I like? Does it look like I want? Does the pastor dress a certain way? And the answer is no here, but we have these personal preferences and convictions. Listen, listen, listen. We must be a church that is all about what God is passionate about. And we must hold to that because culture will change, our preferences will change, but God's passions don't change. And for years, churches have begun and then churches have died. And the reason churches die is because they, at some moment, decided to pursue their preferences. And we must be a church so locked in on God's passions that we don't waver. So what we did years ago, so that to guard you and me against this weirdness of what preferences can do, we put in a mission statement that would secure us as a church, that would say, who's, here's who we are. Our mission is simple, to show people who Jesus is. Not to show people what kind of music we like. <laughs> Not to show people what we believe. Not to show people anything else other than who Jesus is. And for the life of this church, and I hope this church lives until the day Jesus comes back. But in order for that to actually happen, for us not to die as a church, we lock in the mission and live by it to show people who Jesus is. Now I want to show you something. It's in your Bible. It's in Luke 15. I've been talking to you about this story of the prodigal son. If you aren't familiar, I'll just be brief about this. Jesus tells a story. He's wanting people to lock in on what the church is supposed to be about, what Christians are supposed to be about. So here's what he does. He tells a story. He often did this. Tells a story and unfolds it this way. He's like, there's a son. The son goes to the dad and says, I want my inheritance early. Dad gives it to him. The son does not go do things well with it or wisely. He wastes it. Some of us are like, yeah, that's what kids do. Don't just deal with it. Come on. Move on. Here's what he does. The son wastes it and finds himself so destitute, so low, so out of everything he wanted, and it turned into depths of despair, 
brokenness, rock bottom. He is literally has no money, no place to live, has nothing, and he concludes this, which is what many of us have done. I've lost everything. I've made mistakes. I have literally thrown my life away, and the only place I can go is maybe a family member will give me a bed. Many of us have those stories where you were so lost, so gone, that maybe someone who's related to you will open up a door for you. So that's what the son concludes out of the story that Jesus tells. He says, I'm gonna go home, but it won't be my home. I'm gonna serve my family. I'm gonna literally be a servant to my family, no longer son or even brother. I'm gonna be a servant. And so he unfolds this as he starts to trek back, but Jesus tells the story and wrecks all of us. As the son's coming back, the father sees him, runs to his son and doesn't like bend him over his knee and starts spanking him. He runs to him, hugs him, doesn't yell at him, doesn't scold him, hugs him, kisses him, and welcomes him back into the family. Unconditional love, one of our core values. But he doesn't just stop at saying, I love you, son, I like you, son, and giving him a hug and being nice. That's easy to do is to show someone love. He then walks it into irrational generosity. He says, son, you're back in the family. Here's a ring that signifies you're back in the family. Here's the best robe. Here's some sandals. And in fact, we're going to throw the biggest parties of all parties for you. Steak dinner, just like David likes. Oh, no, he didn't say that. But he's like, steak dinner, this is going to be incredible. And what's so profound is that everyone isn't happy about it. Have you ever disagreed with a family member? You're like, has anybody not? <laughs> well, what's profound is this, is that the son returns home. He's safe and sound. Dad says you're back in the family, but there's a family member who's angry about it. To me, that sounds like church, unfortunately. Where we're like, hey, everyone should be loved unless you do this, think that, believe that, well, then we'll have to deal with something. No, 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 no. Jesus gives us a picture. Not only are we to show unconditional love and irrational generosity. Watch this. This is how it unfolds. Luke 15, verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Why would he refuse to go in? Because culturally speaking, if he had gone into the party and had a meal with his brother, that was considered reconciling the relationship. And so he didn't want to reconcile the relationship because he was mad at his brother. So he literally stands outside the tent. It would be like someone in your family having a wedding and someone says, I'm not going to the wedding. Many of us have had those experiences. That's what happens here. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, you're, when this son of yours, catch that, not my brother, <laughs> this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Here's what's cool. The father does not forget his mission. His mission? He's the father. It's cool. Watch this. Verse 32, I'm gonna reread this a whole lot. But we had to celebrate and be glad, but we had to celebrate, but we had, but we had to. Think about that in life. Do an assessment real quick. If I said, what do you have to do? What do you have to do today? What do you have to do? What does not get, uh, well, maybe I could, or a possibility, or I hope so, or if we get time to it. What do you have to even better yet, as a church, what does a church have to do? Watch this. But we had to 
celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In my personal time with God, as I read the Bible and write some stuff, and these words have wrecked me lately. We had to. What are your convictions in life that you would say, David, I have to? Some of you are parents, right? And you're like, I have to raise them up right. You're convicted about that. If you're married, you should be convicted about loving your spouse the way you should. That conviction, I have to. Some of our convictions are so low, though. They're so lowly set that they're not where they need to be. But I have to. So I, I made a list. My convictions about the church. The, the we have to's. Like the things that I'm not going to debate with you because it's not worth a debate because I'm not changing them. They're the convictions of here's who we are as a church. No debate, no processing. They just are. Here's the first one. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He is the hope of the world. Now, help me help you. Listen, listen, listen. The government is not our solution for ISIS. Jesus is. I'm telling you that. No. Poverty will not be solved by a government or one person. Jesus is the solution to that. Our problems with our schools, Jesus. Our issue with racial reconciliation and the adversity that's going on in our nation, it's Jesus. It's not just talking to each other and being nice to each other and faking playing well with each other. It's Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. Without Jesus, there is no hope. It's just optimism. You as a Christian, if you are a Christian, need to figure out if you believe that. Jesus is the hope of the world. It's a conviction I hold strongly. I'll keep going though. Jesus' primary way of reaching the world is through the local church. If you're wondering, well, what did Jesus value? I mean, did Jesus start a bunch of hospitals or banks or businesses or schools or all those are, are great and necessary, but what did Jesus start? If you read your Bible, you'll learn that he started one thing called the church. And in fact, Jesus talked about it. He says, here's how I'm gonna build my church. He talked about it. Jesus launched the vehicle, the primary way to get the hope of the world out through the church. So listen, many of us were raised poorly in this. We thought it was the pastor's job to get the hope about Jesus out to the world, you won't find that in your Bible. It's Christians, followers of Jesus, who are supposed to have so much conviction in our hearts that we do everything possible to get Jesus in front of everybody we can, whether we like him or not. We'll keep going. The church should be come as you are. I remember growing up and even hearing stories lately of people trying to figure out if they're allowed to go to church or if they look okay enough to go to church. I know some of you are brand new and you're just hoping you wore what you were supposed to wear. And then you see me and you're like, yeah, I'm better dressed than he is. <laughs> the church has got to be a place that's come as you are. That's both physically and emotionally and spiritually we cannot be a place that's like, hey, you better figure it out. And as soon as you figure it out and believe what we believe, then you can come. No. It's not about looking like someone else or even believing what someone else believes. 
If you believe that God is truly powerful, then you're okay with anybody coming as they are. It's a conviction. Number four, the most critical age of life is zero to 18 years old, so we will always invest in the next generation. Let me give you a statistic that is being reiterated lately. Listen to this. Of the people who give their life to Jesus, of the people who declare, Jesus is my Lord, of the people that say, I believe in forgiveness of sins from Jesus, I follow Jesus, I am a Christian. Did you know that 85% of the people that say that made that decision by 18 or younger? So in that conviction, understand this very clearly. We do not do child care. We do not have something for children just to take care of them and to keep them away from us and not too loud so that you and I can have our time together. And in fact, in this church, they're the most important age. And we will hold to that conviction that's not just like some method. I'll keep going. The most effective way to reach the world is by loving them and serving them. For those of you who are like, well, of course, yeah, it's not screaming at them or beating them up with your Bible and saying Jesus loves you. It's loving them and serving them. And let me help correct something in Christian culture. You can love someone and serve them and you're not acknowledging that you agree with everything in their life. That's just foolish. I love my kids and daily I don't like some of the things they do. Life should never be lived alone. We don't offer groups just because we're like, well, kind of a big place. So if you want to be a part of a group, be a part of a group. Or if you want to serve, be, be a part of a serving group. Or, or No, 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 no. Life's not designed to be lived alone. If you don't know what happened at the beginning of all life, God made Adam and was like, this isn't going to work. Uh, you need community. So he made Eve. Pretty sweet. That shows you and I, we need people. Don't live in isolation. It's a conviction of ours. The local church is the best investment in the world. You're like, is that a money statement? Yes. I'll tell you something about our family. I'm just, this, you can do whatever you want to. Every single year, our, our family, my wife and I, increase by a percentage what we give to this church because God is doing something supernatural through this church. And we believe the best investment all over the world, including Dow Jones and, and all everything, blah, 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 I believe the church is the best investment you can ever invest in. I'll keep going because some of you hate that. Actually, I don't really care that you hate it, but um, <clears throat> it's a conviction. Uh, everything we do should be done as well as we can do it. That might seem like, oh, yeah, that's the last one on the list. That's kind of weak. No, no, no. You ever notice that the miracles that Jesus did, he, he did perfectly? You ever notice that the sermons he preached and the stories that he told were brilliant? You ever notice that what Jesus did and the disciples did were done really well? I do not believe in this. Oh, it's church. It doesn't really matter how we do it as long as we do it with a good heart. No way. I believe what God made is incredible. If you're open to it, I think if you studied the body and creation and all that, you'd see how brilliantly it was made. I think the church should say everything we do should be done as well as we possibly can do it. So, <laughs> those are my convictions. I lead the church through those convictions. Where are you at? Are you a preference-driven person or a conviction-driven person? Preference 
or conviction. I want to show you a story. The Kroll family, who had to process through as they became fountain springers, are we going to jump in and be all about our preferences or God's passions? Listen to their story. It's profound. The thing that I have learned at Fountain Springs is God loves to show off. I mean, he just, sometimes he is so powerful and it is so evident that he is so in control. And, you know, I used to pray for a glimpse of God or a glimpse of his power, a glimpse of his majesty. And being involved with Fountain Springs and and getting to work with the Love Rapid City Project and even just some of the day-to-day interactions and some of the people I've been privileged to meet through life groups and even just in the church and how my heart is just broken hearing what's going on in their lives. And I think, God, you're just showing off. You're just showing me what it's like to feel for a minute the compassion that you feel. first time we were in Fountain Springs, our daughter got married there in 2007. So it wasn't like we came in cold, you know, but uh, the first time we came to the service, it was different. The music was a lot louder than what we were used to, you know, and there was a lot more people there. Um, It's not as, was not as big as it is now, as it is now. Yeah. But, you know, that, that threw us off a little bit. The biggest hardship for me was there are so many people there. Yeah. You, I didn't know anybody, you know. And then we got to know a few people, and, um, and we still don't know a lot of people, but more than we have. I feel really comfortable going there now. But that was the hardest part. And the other part that uh, I guess bothered me the most was I, I didn't feel that we had any say in the decision-making of where, where the church is going. You know, and where before, we were always a big part of that. When it comes right down to it, the church has its mission, and it doesn't ask everybody, you know, do you agree with this? It (laughs) says, this is our mission, and whatever he says, we're all in. It's exciting what what Fountain Springs is doing at RCMU. I wish everybody in the congregation could be there. I really do. It's just powerful to be there. And the same with the mission, like with World Vision. It's so exciting that our church has that kind of an impact on a community in Zambia. And now with Trash Mountain, too, it's exciting to see what God is going to do there, what he's going to allow us to be part of at Trash Mountain. I see these guys come into our CMU, and they don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be in prison. And they come in and they shuffle in and they're tired and it's the only day of the week that they get to sleep in. And then the worship music starts and they start to liven up. They start to sing. They start to raise their hands. They start to clap. And then by the time the worship service is done and they they see Pastor David's video, they're coming out of there and they have smiles on their face. They're looking to us to thank us for being there. You know, and when we had sign-ups for baptism and, and there was a line of people and I wondered what that line was. Why are they lined up? 
by Kevin, and they were signing up to be baptized. And once they were, <laughs> once they put their name on that sheet, you could see this the smile came over their face. The same guy that I shook hands with that Sunday, you know, when he came in, his head was down like this, and his arm was went like that. When he left, his arm went like this. He wanted to thank us for being there. And the only thing that I can say to them guys is thank you for allowing us to be there. I had one guy say the other day, he says, you know what, thank you for coming. And I says, no, I wanna, I wanna thank you for coming. He says, no, you don't have to thank me. He says, this is the best day of the week for me. <laughs> it's fun yeah, to hear those comments. Because it is me too, yeah. you know? So this is, this is what we're passionate about, you know? And, and, and Fountain Springs has given us the opportunity to be passionate about this. I told Pastor David that, you know, I miss the campus, the large campus, when we started serving at the RCMU. And now it's just the opposite. When I don't go to RCMU, I miss that. I miss seeing those guys. I've made a connection with it. And I thank God and I thank Fountain Springs for letting me be a part of that. He's not using Fountain Springs because we're such a good group of people. He's using us. He's giving us the privilege to work alongside of him. And Boy, I, I just can't tell people enough. Grab on, get involved. It's so exciting what God is doing at Fountain Springs. It's profound when a church is willing to trump their preferences for God's passions. When a church is willing to say, hey, whatever God's passionate about, that's gonna be us. That's our church. Now you may wonder, you might be new, like what's God passionate about? He is passionate about people who love him, but he's also even more so, I think, passionate about people who don't know him and don't love him yet. I can prove it. Uh, there's verses in the Bible, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came, Jesus came, to seek and save the lost. The reason Jesus came was not for church people. You're like, oh. <laughs> he came for lost people, people that weren't in church. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's passion for people no matter who they are. So we have, as a church, we've locked on. We're going to be a church that's passionate about what God is passionate about. Now, I'm about to tell you some things, and some of you are like, well, wait a minute. Are, are these things that we're going to you know, seek people's opinions about? I'm going I'm to break some of your hearts. Sorry. God is not an American. And I know some of you want church to be run like a democracy, where everything that we do is put to a vote, and that's how cities work and governments work. Listen, listen, listen. God did not say, hey, people, here's what I want you to do. Now vote on it and see if you want to do it and see if it's the right thing to do. And no, here's how God works, by the way. Let me help you in your life. God says do it. And then you do it. You're welcome. That's how you and I should run our lives. And that's how a church should function. So I'm going to tell you three things that we're going to do launching out over the next 18 months. Some of you will step away from the church because of it. Some of you will step in closer and step up. I believe with all my heart that God has singled us out as a church. 
I'm not speaking about other churches. I'm not saying they're bad or good. I could only talk about Fountain Springs Church. And Fountain Springs Church has been singled out by God the Creator. And I'll tell you something that I can't get away from. I've tried. Something that's been confirmed by the elders of this church is God wants us as a church to reach 10% of the surrounding area. Now, if you're not good at math, I'm not. I did some recent study. There's 142,000 people within 25 to 30 miles of us. If you look at the census, there's 42,000 people in our area within 25 miles of us, 42,000 people who claim on the census to not know God, not want to know anything about God. They marked none. It's actually a new generation we calling the generation of the nuns saying they have no faith. 42,000. I'm gonna tell you, and this is a seat-clearing statement, I get it, that God has called us to reach 10% of our whole population. And let me share with you three things of how that's gonna begin to unfold. Is it's time that we expand our existing location. Uh, right now in the auditorium, it seats about 700. We have gathered together plans and we are going to add an auditorium that will seat 1,400, double the space. Let me just tell you something about Sunday mornings. It breaks my heart. If you don't know this about Sunday mornings, but it is regular that we turn kids away from the kids' ministry because we don't have room. We have new people who went through all the anxiety of going to church on Sunday morning. They're so excited, but they didn't know that they should come early because there's no seats, no parking spots, there's really no nothing. And they get there and they go to put their kid in the children's ministry and we don't have room because we literally don't have the square footage. And so, over the next 18 months, we're gonna add on an incredible children's wing underneath and, and all over the building, you'll see it. And, and we're also gonna add an auditorium and then we're gonna transfer this space, this existing auditorium, into a student ministry space for the teenagers. The teenagers have not had their own space forever. <laughs> and it's time that they have their own space. And so we're gonna expand here and that's gonna expand whether you are locked into preferences or convictions. Now that's just the first one of the three. You're like, oh my. That's not even the riskiest part. Before that addition is completed, in fact, if you want to write this down, January of 2016, we are going to officially launch another Fountain Springs location in Rapid City on the other side of town. Yep. Yep. I believe so much in what God has done at the RCMU location that we're gonna launch another location. We'll call them campuses. This will be the West Campus. That'll be the East Campus. And it's gonna be incredible. We're gonna renovate space. I can't tell you about the space yet because we haven't locked something in yet regarding all the lease and all that junk. And if I tell you and it doesn't work, I'll feel stupid, so just wait, be patient. But we're gonna launch another location. It's gonna be the East Campus. It will be Fountain Springs. It's gonna have its own pastor, but we're gonna take the sermons that are preached on the weekends, and you'll get to watch that on a video, but there'll be a live band killer, incredible children's ministry. In fact, the building will be set up better than it even is here. It's gonna be awesome. Not like B or C level, like, oh, that's kinda okay. It's gonna be awesome. In fact, many of you are like, I don't like to be here anymore. I wanna go there, and I'm okay with that. In fact, as the months unfold, I'm gonna call several of you to rise up and help launch that east location. Now, 
There's a third one. You're like, seriously? We need to have a we need to have more influence globally. And so we have been over the past year been talking with an organization based out of Kansas. And they have been involved now. They're spreading their wings out all over the globe. It's called the Trash Mountain Project. If you don't know this about the world, there are several countries throughout the world that people live in the dumps. The physical trash dumps. And they live there. They go and get food from the dumps. They go and get things that they can sell at the market to somehow have a little bit of money. And we are gonna partner with some churches in the Philippines through Trash Mountain. And we're gonna partner with those churches and help those churches reach people and show them who Jesus is. We're not just concerned about what goes on in Rapid City or the state, but globally we've gotta be involved. Those are three things that should rock your world. And, and listen, listen, listen. I don't know how God's gonna accomplish it all. If you want me to, then you've misheard on how I believe God works. Oftentimes, well, I think every time he asks you for your yes or no first, and then it's time to see how the details play out. See, some of you are wanting God to do something cool in your life, like something big, but you're unwilling to say yes to him first. He's waiting on the yes first. You say yes first, then he's like, all right, now I got something to work with. So I'm telling you about this church right now. This church will unwaver from our Mission. It, it will locked in. It's not up for debate or vote. In fact, I wrote something I want to share with you and end on. Because our value in this church is, is to unconditionally love people. And we're like, yeah, yeah, right? And irrational generosity to be involved in people's lives. But we must not waver from our mission. If we do, we will die as a church and people will not know who Jesus is and it will be, listen, our fault. So, this is for you. God has asked us to be pioneers, to do something that is unprecedented. If you're wondering, hey, what other churches have multiple locations in this area? The answer is none. Not where it's exactly the same within about five hours. If you like being a pioneer, you like this. If you don't, you're scared to death. God has called us and he will show us how to show people who Jesus is. So listen, we will not waver from our mission to show people who Jesus is. We, we will be irrationally generous and it is a conviction. Showing unconditional love is a conviction. Teaching children about Jesus is a conviction. Holding multiple services all over the city is a conviction. Fixing the cars for single parents is a conviction. Fixing up the schools in our area is a conviction. Offering help to the addicted is a conviction. Helping teenagers know how valuable they are is a conviction. Giving counseling to people in need of support is a conviction. Offering community and friendship to everyone is a conviction. Engaging the needs of the poor is a conviction. Teaching the truth in the Bible is a conviction. Being a church for the unchurched is a conviction. And this church will not only love people, and be generous to people, but we will not waver from whatever God has asked us to do. And I would tell you, it's clear, and it's time for us to respond. We can be comfortable in this place and say, hey, I went not enough room, tough luck for the people who didn't make it before we did, or we reach out. And the 10% that some of you don't like and some of it you love, listen, make it personal. Does the 10% include your brother? Maybe your sister, maybe your mom or dad? Maybe your uncle, maybe your roommate, maybe someone that you're going to school with. If you've yet to make it personal, you've yet to make the grace you've received personal. And I'm here to tell you that God has singled us out as a church. And it is our role 
knowing that this will be the last time I get to talk to some of you. It is our role to not be saturated in our preferences, but to pursue God's passions. And for God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for everybody. Own it.